And you're very welcome back to part two of this evening's programme and the concluding part with veterinary surgeon John Doc O'Driscoll. John's father, Neilis, arrived in Bandon as a newly qualified vet back in 1915 and after qualifying himself, John later joined his father in practice. And the rest, as they say, is history. For all vets, the job could be dangerous at times when you're dealing with large animals and there was always a risk of the odd kick from a cow or a horse and a bite from a dog thrown in for good measure as well. Oh, there's no two ways about it. I was lucky. I only got a few bad bruises. Uh, where one or two of the lads uh, in testing, I know, broke legs, uh, getting kicked. More got a bit concussed, getting blows in the head. But overall, I was lucky, thank God. Uh, now, going from a farmer's yard to an outside place, one or two stories I tell you. When we went to this farm, there was nothing there but a ruin, no roof in it, a lot of mud after accumulating over the years. One good thing about it, it slowed the animals down. But while we were catching some of them, one knocked my helper, but we caught him before he hit the ground and pulled him out. The only thing was, he had only one Wellington. The Wellington was gone. Uh, when we finished testing, we searched for the Wellington. But Willie was long gone, never to be found. <laughs> and another place we went to one day, the farmer said to me, Ah, oh, we have to go to an outside place now, uh, about six miles away. When we arrived out into the middle of a field, again a ruin. Nothing but four walls and a doorway. No cattle in. I said, where are the cattle? Oh, he said, they're down the field, doctor. I said, oh, in the name of heavens, are we going to get them in? And he opened the boot of the car, and out came three collie dogs. He sent them off down the field, and in no time at all, the collies had the 10 or 15 cattle into the house. Now, there was no gate or door or anything to block the cattle. I said to the lads, how are we going to keep the cattle in? You're going to be trying to catch them because there's only two there. Oh, they said, don't worry, doctor. The dogs will go on guard and nothing will get out. And fair play, any time a bullock or a heifer tried to get out, the dogs clung them and drove them back in. So we eventually finished the test. Not very easy, but we got it finished. Three very well-trained dogs. Three very well-trained dogs, yeah. Another change, I suppose, John, that you've seen is... Uh, when you were starting out, there weren't too many female vets. That's changed dramatically now. Uh, John, the last year in college, when I was there, we had one lady in our year. And all the other years, no lady at all. Now, in the present day, it's nearly 60, 40 females to males. They seem to do very well. They come out and some of the girls go into large animal practice. A lot of them will go into small animal practice. And some will go into the department or go abroad. We mentioned earlier in the programme that behind every good man, there usually is a great woman. In John's case, it was his beloved wife, Carmel, who unfortunately passed away after a hard-fought battle against a lengthy illness. Unfortunately, never drank or smoked in her life. Died of cancer of the throat. Put in a fair fight for two and a half years. Left a big drain in my life when she left. But I suppose, in a way, she was all the time praying for me because she left me three guardian angels. I had one guardian angel, as we know, in heaven, but I was left with two, my daughter and son. They've been so good to me, and also all my neighbours and friends. They came around me and helped me through tough times. Right. So you have extra forces up there now? Hopefully. Hopefully.
According to John, one new disease that we have to be wary of nowadays is Smallenberg virus. It's an emerging disease which, as far as we know, is not transferable to humans. Well, as we said earlier, John, uh, about disease coming in, there is a new condition after coming in. Uh, it's called Scallenberg because it's called after the town in Holland where the disease was first discovered. It causes uh, fetuses in cows and the yews to become deformed. They think it's brought in by uh, small insects or even mosquitoes. Uh, Thanks be to God, there are only some farms affected. I think maybe only one in County Cork, uh, but the government and the veterinary officers are keeping a sharp eye on it. And how dangerous a disease is this? Well... I, do, I think as regards humans, it's not transferable and it only seems to hit the pregnant animal. How times have changed. When John's father Neilis came to Bandon as a young vet in 1915, tending to horses was the only show in town. Later, people in urban areas kept pigs in their back gardens, which in turn was very much part of the business for any vet. At present, the treatment of small animals, even exotic animals, is part and parcel of any veterinary practice. Yes, John, my mother had a great saying, God never closes a door that he doesn't open another one. Yes, we did lose all these pigs, calls, but nowadays every practice in the country has devoted a section to small animals. It's quite a big business, and these surgeries and operating theatres are examined and audited every so often. They have to be a certain standard to be registered. So, you know, when you come in with your pet dog or cat or exotic animal, you can be assured that you're going to get the best of treatment from all the vets who are dealing with them. For, say, a young lad now or a young girl approaching third-level education and thinking seriously of going to college and becoming a vet, would you encourage it and what advice would you give them? Going to college, first of all, you have to get an awful lot of points to get into veterinary. And I think that's why the girls seem to beat the boys in scoring points, and that's why the number is so great. Uh, When you're going in, you have to have a certain thought in your mind. Are you from a farming background? Then you have a certain amount of knowledge of what you're going to face. You may be a girl from the city, and you've gone out to some veterinary practice to have a look around. So you can make up your mind very early in life whether you're going to be a large animal vet or a small animal vet. Large animal vet means you're going to be on call out and around in the countryside, calving cows and looking at horses and all that. Small animals, you're going to be inside in your surgery uh, looking and operating on cats, dogs and other exotic animals. Finally, looking back on your career and life as a veterinary surgeon, no regrets whatsoever. John, I was so lucky. All the people that were my clients became my friends. I look forward to meeting them in town or wherever I meet them. They were wonderful people. I couldn't praise them enough. My colleagues were wonderful people. And all I can say is thank you, God. And all ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to finish. May God bless you all. And I wish you every good luck for the future. Thank you very much, John. And that's our tribute to the late John Doc O'Driscoll, our sympathies to his family and friends, and may he rest in peace. However, we're not entirely finished with John this evening. John was also a great supporter of the work being done by the Poor Clare Sisters in College Road in Cork, and he suggested to me on more than one occasion that a programme should be broadcast to honour their work in Cork, which has spanned 100 years.
Their vows of poverty, chastity, obedience and enclosure are strictly adhered to every day. Every day they dedicate their lives to God. They are part of the Franciscan family, followers of St. Francis of Assisi. They are the Poor Clare Sisters in College Road in Cork. The story begins on Christmas Eve 1914, when Walter Dwyer, a Cork businessman, saw his dream fulfilled. This was when the first Mass was celebrated with the Poor Clares in Cork. Walter had a daughter, Maria, who was a Poor Clare sister many miles away in Belgium. He loved his daughter and missed her dearly every day. His one wish was to have her beside him when he died. However, the vow of enclosure meant that Maria would never leave the monastery in Belgium except in exceptional circumstances. Walter confided in a close friend, a Jesuit priest called Father Willie Doyle, and together they came up with a plan that, if successful, would see the Cork nun return to her native city and be close to her father. The plan was for Walter to finance the building of a Cork monastery, and then Father Willie would find the nuns to place in the monastery. This would give Walter's daughter Maria the ideal opportunity to return home, without interfering with the vows she had taken. Although the Bishop of Cloyne initially gave his consent, unforeseen difficulties arose. However, a second approach to the Bishop got the all clear and the Cork Monastery got the go-ahead. Walter Dwyer's daughter Maria would be home shortly. And so began a strong bond between the poor Clare sisters and the people of Cork. We belong to the Order of St. Clair, and St. Clair founded the Order in 1212. She was inspired by St. Francis of Assisi, who is more famous than she is really, and um, he wanted to live the gospel in poverty and simplicity. At the time in Assisi, in the 13th century, there was a lot of division between the nobles and the poor people, and he felt called by Jesus to live a poor life, and he sought to reform the church through living a poor life. There were other movements that were trying to reform the church as well but his insight was to live well and by his example witness to reform the church and St. Clare was inspired by him she was a young girl when he first had his conversion he wasn't always such a good lad <laughs> and um, so she was a young girl and she actually from the records from what you know of her she was always good St. Clare was always pious prayerful and uh, she um, gave to the poor she was from a wealthy family and she gave to the poor and uh, she was modest she was, even though she was beautiful and well off she wasn't showing off showing off like she was a modest girl anyway she heard of St Francis and she heard him preaching they were both from Assisi and she met him apparently her one of her cousins was an, a follower of St Francis St Francis gathered followers around him so probably through this cousin of St Clare's she got to meet St Francis and he encouraged her to give herself to Jesus and uh, not to marry but to devote her life to Jesus in virginity and in poverty so she actually left home she ran away from home on Palm Sunday 1212. The actual year isn't definite but we'll, we'll say 1212. So that was um, how the Poor Clare Order started. Her blood sister Catherine, she was Catherine, she joined her and she became St Agnes. St Francis called her Agnes because she had risked her life to follow Clare and then their other sister Beatrice also followed them and eventually their mother joined them and a lot of noble women from around Assisi joined them. So St Francis renovated a, sm- a small church outside Assisi and that's where the Poor Clare Order started. Sister Colette Marie, the Mother Abbess at the Poor Clare Monastery here in Cork. 
Well, the Bishop of Cork, Thomas O'Callaghan, had been praying for some time that an order would come to his diocese. Those prayers were answered when Walter Dwyer got a site on College Road and construction began. On Christmas Eve 1914, the monastery was ready. Mother Angela Tate was named as abbess, and she and Sister Maria Dwyer, Walter's daughter, moved into the new house. This was a very special night for many reasons. Mass was said for the first time here in College Road, and on the same night, during World War I, the famous ceasefire took place when soldiers from opposite sides left their trenches and met in no man's land. Christmas Eve in 1914 Stars were burning, burning bright And all along the western front Guns were lying still and quiet Men lay dozing in the trenches In the cold and in the dark Far away behind the lines A village dog began to bark It is true to say that the poor Clare sisters may never have come to Cork but for Walter Dwyer. Walter's father James was a Tipperary man who came to Cork as a cattle drover and settled here in 1820, eventually opening a drapery and haberdashery store in what is now known as Washington Street in Cork. He also started the Lee Boot Factory in 1875. His son Walter took over the business in 1902. Eleven years after overseeing the opening of the Poor Clare Monastery in Cork in 1914, Walter went to visit his son in Waterford. While out horse riding, he became drenched during a storm and developed pneumonia. He died in the Bon Secure Hospital in Cork on September 2nd, 1925, next door to the Poor Clare Monastery. His beloved daughter, Sister Maria, died on exactly the same date, 40 years later, in 1965.